Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, there will be questions for the government on stalled vaccination efforts across the country. Several provinces were impacted with reductions, some disproportionately based on shipping decisions made by, by the manufacturer. We have made a commitment to provinces most impacted that their allocations will be rebalanced as soon as available. Will the Prime Minister impose sanctions on the U.S. over the cancelled Keystone XL pipeline? In some quarters, that's the call for the Prime Minister to do that against the American administration, uh, most notably from Jason Kenney. Let's impose sanctions, uh, or at least fight for compensation because they cancelled the pipeline. Uh, I don't think you'll hear the Prime Minister talking about reviving the pipeline. He'll be pivoting to protecting Canada against Buy America. And more scrutiny over the appointment of Julie Payette. For all uh, high-level appointments, there is uh, a rigorous vetting process that was followed uh, in this case. Uh, obviously, uh, we will continue to look at uh, that vetting process to ensure uh, that it is the best possible process uh, as we move forward. It's Monday, January 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for being with us. Hi, Mark. Great to talk to you again. So Parliament resumes today, and of course, uh, there are a couple of events, uh, stories from last week that will be top of mind as uh, MPs gather again, uh, and questions are asked of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the government. Uh, One of those which we'll get to is the Prime Minister's uh, uh, phone call with Joe Biden, the new President of the United States, on Friday, and the implications for Keystone and and, uh, other issues that arose from that call. Uh, There will be questions, of course, about the departure of the Governor General, Julie Payette. And I imagine there will be a lot of talk about vaccines as well, which is top of mind for many, many Canadians. So uh, do you think that uh, the government will be forced to answer a lot of questions about the speed at which Canadians are being vaccinated? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, the topics you've talked about, Mark, are clearly going to be front and centre in in Parliament. Uh, This week, as MPs get back together, uh, again, and you know, uh, depending on which model they end up picking, you know, uh, they'll, they'll, there will be a, a sitting of the House in some form, uh, and Parliament will be back in action. And you know, there are a lot of important issues, but really the, the one that's the life and death issue continues to be the supply of vaccines. And I think there'll be lots of questions for, uh, I mean, it'll be, uh, I think there'll be a theme this week about, you know, the Prime Minister's involvement or lack of involvement, his involvement in choosing a uh, a governor general and that appointment's gone bad is involvement uh or lack thereof uh, in terms of pressing uh the US the new US president and his involvement or lack thereof uh in the vaccine issue and you know he he told Canadians last week that on Thursday he had a conversation with the head of Pfizer Global about the you know the, the the serious cut in doses coming to Canada, fifty percent cut in the number of doses that Pfizer will send Canada over the next four weeks, uh, zero doses this week. Uh, we should um, we should note. Uh, so that's a four hundred thousand reduction in the number of doses Canada will get over the next four weeks. And there'll be lots of questions about you know why the Prime Minister isn't on the phone to Pfizer more often, isn't pressing them uh, for uh, you know uh, more doses for Canada on the same day that we begin a week of getting no doses from Pfizer, it's ramping back up its delivery of doses uh, for a number of its European clients. And I think that will be one of the key themes is why hasn't the 
Prime Minister been more involved in pressing Pfizer to make sure Canada gets a guaranteed supply of vaccines at the levels that Pfizer had promised instead of being shortchanged here while Pfizer retools its plan to, in the end, uh, be capable of delivering more doses. But in the in the short term, Canada will pay the price with fewer doses, and that will clearly affect the vaccination uh, programs of the provinces because Ottawa gets the vaccines and then distributes them. So everybody's getting less, and that will uh, put a serious dent in the vaccination rollout for the provinces. All right, let's turn to Canada's relationship with the new administration in the White House, the Joe Biden administration, which immediately delivered some bad news for... Uh, at least from the perspective of some people in this country, for the Keystone Pipeline. Um, What do you expect Justin Trudeau's response to be to that? Uh, It doesn't seem like there's much that can be done, but uh, obviously Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is not happy, and uh, Justin Trudeau has been a proponent of this pipeline. Uh, So what does he do next, if anything? I'm going to guess he's going to, you're going to see in the House of, you're going to see in, if, if, if the prime, prime minister is in question period, you're, you're going to see the, you know, a pretty quick pivot from, uh, well, that one got away, that's done, that's finished, and the pivot will be to, what am I going to be doing to protect Canadians about what could come next? So I think you're going to hear a lot about Buy America and an undertaking in the phone call from Joe Biden with Justin Trudeau to look, I'm, I'm open to, conversations with Canada about a new Buy America plan, which is expected to unveil today, which will, you know, set out how the Biden administration wants to ensure that uh, the big rebuild uh, that's going to happen in the United States and will happen around the world when we get through the pandemic and economies start to recover, that the big focus is going to be on American companies. What does that mean for Canada? Does that mean Canadian companies will be shut out or could Canada be in line for some sort of an exemption? So I thought what was interesting is Joe Biden said, look, I'm happy to hear from you on this, on, on how you might be affected by my by America policies without giving any kind of a commitment that Canada would get an exemption or would be spared from by America policies. So I think what we're going to hear is a pivot from, you know, the pipeline's done, let's move on, but I'm sure going to go to bat for Canada to try and protect us against by America policies. But I think you'll hear opposition parties, you know, uh, pushing hard uh, to find out exactly what Canada is prepared to do to ensure uh, that we are are protected against any damaging U.S. policies. You'll recall, Mark, that when uh, Donald Trump was the president and he targeted Canadian steelworkers, Canada retaliated with with, uh, sanctions uh, against the Americans. And in some quarters, that's the call for the prime minister to do that against the American administration, uh, most notably from Jason Kenney. Let's impose sanctions uh, or at least fight for compensation because they canceled the pipeline. Uh, I don't think you'll hear the prime minister talking about reviving the pipeline. He'll be pivoting to protecting Canada against Buy America. All right. We'll see how that relationship unfolds. It's uh, I know a lot of Canadians would prefer to see Joe Biden as president, but that doesn't mean that uh, he'll every one of his decisions will will be the one that uh, that the Canadian government wants him to make. Uh, no, and if Canadians, if, if you look at the history of, of the Canada-U.S. relationship, uh, very often it's uh, it's a Democratic administration in the White House that has more protectionist policies that affect right. Canada. So uh, that's important to note, just because there's been a change in the administration doesn't mean everything's smooth sailing from here on in. Yeah, great point. All right, let's talk about the Governor General role, and uh, uh, I think... There will be questions about this. There are obviously other pressing issues as well, uh, which we just talked about. Uh, But 
there's no question that uh, the prime minister's handling of the appointment of Julie Payette is being scrutinized by a lot of people right now, given the events around the alleged toxic workplace at uh, Rideau Hall and her departure now. So uh, to what extent will the prime minister be asked to answer for that appointment? Uh, I think to a, to a great extent. Um, the facts are pretty clear. Uh, Julie Payette was Justin Trudeau's essentially hand-picked choice. He decided to abandon uh, the process that had been instituted under Stephen Harper of an outside advisory council to recommend uh, possible candidates and, and nominees. He chose not to go that route and instead uh, pushed for Julie Payette, or uh, at least when the name was suggested to him, he liked the sound of that and was all over that. The questions this time are, are going to be, okay, what, what happens next? Uh, are you prepared to go back to the advisory council now for the next choice? Look at the time we're in uh, here, Mark, where uh, there's lots of conversations about the possibility of an election this spring, uh, or if not, then uh, next fall in a minority parliament. Uh, you're looking at the importance of the role of the Governor General if the Prime Minister isn't defeated by the opposition parties and instead decides he wants an election. He, he needs to go to Rideau Hall and ask for that election uh, with whoever that new Governor General is. So there'll be lots of focus on how the new process is going to work and how the government's going to come uh, to choose this nominee. But, you, you know, in, in, in in terms of that election timing, really, if you're a political party and a political leader, you're you're sort of watching two streams here uh, that, that dictate the narrative leading up to an election campaign or your time in government that eventually brings you to an election campaign. And that's the, uh, you know, that's the two things that dominate that narrative are either events or actions. The events you sometimes can't control, the actions you can. So the pandemic's a big event. So everybody's watching the prime minister and his government's actions in responding uh, to uh, the pandemic and will judge him and his government on that. And then there are actions you take, and this is one of those ones you call a self-inflicted wound, where you picked a governor general that turned out to be a, a very poor choice, and you wear that. And that was that speaks to, to issues of judgment and, and to issues of... Um, you know, the role, the importance of the role you attach to that office and who you go out to get to fulfill it. So I think there's a lot of questions to be asked here. And a lot of people will be wondering, uh, looking for direction from the prime minister. Okay, I was wrong. Sorry about that, although he has yet to apologize for it. But I'm going to go a different route this time. And it makes you wonder if he'd gone that route the first time when this blew up, he'd be able to say, look, she wasn't my, you know, yeah, I, I appointed her based on the advice of this independent advisory council. Uh, he would have, I think, largely emerged unscathed from all of this, but he chose a different route. All right. There's another overarching question, which you've alluded to already, Peter, and that is uh, when will be the next federal election in this country? Uh, there are people suggesting it might happen as early as the spring. Uh, how does all of this fit into that timetable? You know, it's it's sort of a moving target for me, Mark, I think, and for a lot of people. Uh, it felt sort of maybe like the spring back in the fall. Uh, to me, it feels a little less like that. I think there's just too many unknowns. Um, unless you're defeated, in which case you don't control the timing of the next vote, uh, and you choose... You want to yourself decide the timing of, of the, you know, then you need a, you need a reason. You need to say, I need to go to the Canadian people because they've opposed my budget or they've opposed my, my plan for Canada or I need a stronger mandate from Canadians. But I think you only do that if you know you can win and you, you want to be able to win by saying, I've got a, 
you know, a, a pretty impressive record on, on the pandemic and my response to the pandemic. So, you know, I think the next few weeks, uh, the next month, six weeks, the budget, uh, you know, clearly the budget would be a confidence issue so the government could fall on that. Are the opposition parties ready to do that? Uh, Jagmeet Singh in particular keeps saying that he's not going to give Justin Trudeau the election he wants. Um, and, you know, I think if 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 the vaccine issue doesn't go very well over the next six weeks and there are more problems, um, then I suppose we could still have an election, but it might be an election based on the government has messed up the vaccine rollout process. We need to replace them. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, again, lots of moving parts on this. Um, but at, at the moment, my thinking is, you know, probably not till the fall, but we'll see in the next couple of weeks. All right. Great stuff, Peter. Good to have you back. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Good to talk to you again, Mark. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. For all uh, high-level appointments, there is uh, a rigorous vetting process that was followed uh, in this case. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues, Julie Payette is what happens when Justin Trudeau turns everything into a branding exercise. The Globe writes... Governments have an insatiable desire to put their brand on everything, including the Governor-General. Appointments turn into political marketing opportunities with race, gender, region, and so much more plugged into the equation. And it's fine to take those into account, but under it all, there's a real and vital job to be done. It requires a big brain and lived experience, but also the self-control to park one's ego for the good of the country. In the Toronto Star... Robin Sears asks how far a democracy should go to protect itself from domestic traitors. Sears writes, The new CSIS leadership has worked hard to establish a more balanced approach in recent years, hiring widely from communities that might be open to infiltration by violent groups and monitoring the connections between potentially violent white supremacists. Yet it will always be a fraught policy domain. Yes, the state must protect itself from violent attack or internal subversion, but where is the bright line between that obligation and spying on law-abiding citizens? At globalnews.ca, Mira Estrada argues Kamala Harris ushers in a new day in politics. Estrada writes, Harris is the first female vice president, the first black vice president, and the first South Asian vice president of the United States. After 244 years in a role held exclusively by white men, her inauguration marked a monumental page in American history books. You did not have to be an American to feel the gravitas of the moment. Women and men around the world were watching with swollen hearts. But women, and particularly women of color, were vibrating at a higher level. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Parliamentary Budget Officer will be releasing his latest costing this morning, his valuation of a private member's bill proposing tax changes to help out Canadian charities. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 9 a.m., the Parliamentary Budget Officer will release his costing of Bill C-256. That is a bill sponsored by Winnipeg Conservative MP Marty Morantz. The bill proposes allowing Canadians to sell real estate or private stocks and to not pay capital gains tax on the proceeds if those proceeds go towards registered Canadian charities. Currently, donations to charities from people who sell publicly traded stocks and give them to uh, to charity are not hit with a capital gains tax. 
MP Morantz says that studies suggest that Canada's charities hard hit by the uh, pandemic could benefit to the tune of about $200 million a year in increased revenues or increased donations if this tax change were made. Parliamentary Budget Officer Yves Giroux this morning will release his office's costing of how much that measure might cost the Canadian government in lost tax revenues, which is always, of course, a consideration when the government and MPs debate making such tax changes. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will participate in the opening session of the Climate Adaptation Summit. This afternoon, he will attend question period and chair the Cabinet meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will make an announcement in Ottawa, along with the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity and Associate Minister of Finance, Mona Fortier. The Deputy Prime Minister will also virtually attend question period and the Cabinet meeting. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference to talk about the resumption of Parliament. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will also speak with the media as Parliament resumes. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, January the 25th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.